Hello and welcome to Renewing Your Mind, a web-based ministry of South Bay Community Church located in Fremont, California. It is our prayer that today's broadcast will be a blessing to you. Let us prepare our hearts to hear the word of the Lord. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Scripture makes it clear that all of creation acknowledges that God is sovereign over heaven and earth. And sometimes it takes us a little while to remember that. But I want to invite you in this moment to let God speak to your heart and to your mind. We are uh, taking some time this day to celebrate our graduates and their accomplishments. But we ground all that in the realization that it is God who supplies and God who grows and And he is the one who creates the increase. And so it's important that we, as we uh, have our minds on our goals and our next steps and our futures, that we remember that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. And so I am glad to have those guests that are with us this morning um, celebrating our graduates. Welcome to South Bay. My name is Brian Murphy. I'm the lead pastor here at South Bay. We are glad that you are here to worship with us this morning. Uh, I need to give you a couple of um, small disclaimers before I um, read the scripture and begin the word. You, You have caught us in the middle of what I'm calling man month this month. Uh, I am taking a few Sundays during the month of June, actually all the Sundays during the month of June, and exploring this idea of manhood. Uh, I began last week by making the claim that manhood is in crisis. It even made uh, Newsweek magazine, so it must be true that manhood is in crisis in America. And so we are taking some time. We, um, We affirm that women are a blessing. We affirm that women are called and gifted and can be used by God in any aspect of his creation from teaching and preaching and all the different forms. But I I felt the unction from God to spend a couple of weeks talking to my brothers. So I will ask for your tolerance with me this morning and hopefully you'll join us back for some additional Sundays in the service. My scripture this morning comes from the book of Genesis. Uh, chapter 3, I would ask that you, if you are um, sitting close to someone who does not have a Bible, that we may be kind enough to share the word with them as we read the word together. It's a relatively short passage of scripture, Genesis chapter 3, and I will be reading verses uh, 6 through 9 to get us started. Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 through 9. If you have it, say, I got it. I hear some pages. That means hold on a little bit. 
If you got it, say, I got it. All right. The word of the Lord. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was standing with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Father, I ask that you take this moment of your word going forth. And Father, that you fill it with all of your hopes and dreams and desires for every person within the sound of my voice. Father, you had a divine appointment for each one of us to be here this day. We've sung songs, Father God. We've lifted our hands. We've opened our hearts and minds. But now what we need is for your spirit to come in and dwell. Fill us each one, Father God. And I ask for a special prayer for our men. Father, for the men that are seeking you and desiring you, for those that are struggling, for those that have wandered away, Father, for those who never knew you, you have a divine appointment and this is the day that you have called them to be closer to you. Father, be praised and pleased by all that is said and done in this place and all God's children said, amen. Amen. Say it again. One more time. Amen. Amen. I wanted to pick up the story this week, right where we left off last week. Uh, Many of you have heard this portion of scripture in the bigger context. Uh, It's in the section known as the fall. And so it's the tail end of that story as, as the serpent has tricked Eve and gotten her to eat something from the garden that she wasn't supposed to eat. And got Adam to eat something from the garden because he was complacent and went along with it. And they have realized they made a mistake. And it said their eyes were open and they realized that they were unclothed. And so they ran and hid. And uh, then God shows back up on the scene, which he is prone to do. And it's time for the reckoning. It's time for some accounting. It's time to face the music. And they said they ran and hid because he was afraid. But the Lord started the whole process by asking, man, where are you? Chaos is ensuing. Things have gone wrong. The plan fell apart. They were disobedient. They, they knew they weren't supposed to do something and they went ahead and did it anyway. They figured, you know what? There is this big juicy piece of fruit 
It looks good. It smells good. I'm pretty sure it tastes good. And the snake told me it's got a bonus. I'll be smarter if I eat it. So despite the fact that God told me I shouldn't do it, he doesn't live in the real world. He's not looking at this big juicy piece of fruit that I'm looking at. And they went ahead and made the decision to partake. It all goes sideways. Everybody hid. And God comes looking for the man. In our society today, as things are falling apart, things seem to be going haywire. I just saw on the uh, news about the tragedy in Southern California just this past weekend or this weekend. Uh, all the ills and things that are going on in society, we, we see these things. And I would dare say that God is asking the same question, man, where are you? Why did he ask that question? Why is he looking for the man? What does he expect the man to be doing? If I could have the slides, please. What is he trying to accomplish and what went wrong? I I think we need to look a little bit further in the story to see that there is a plan that is being executed here. Now, we don't have any details about what the serpent, the, the enemy was doing at this particular moment. But I want to speculate that he was probably sitting back having a pretty good laugh. Think of that. My plan is going exactly according to plan. And he's watching this thing unfold and he thinks he has gotten a division that he has been seeking from the beginning. Bible tells us that he wasn't too happy about this creation man that showed up on the scene and seemed to have a particular spot in God's heart. And so he started developing this plan. I want to unfold this plan that we see happening in Genesis 3 because I think it's the same pattern that we see. I don't think the devil's trick bag is too deep. I think it just works all the time, so he keeps going back to it. So I want to take a little time and unpack the plan that I see unfolding in this text and have us be able to, to spot it and see it when it's happening around us. The whole thing starts with this issue of deception. See, they figured out that what God said wasn't really good enough and that they were smarter than he was and knew what they should really do because it just looked so good. It was a perfectly good observation. Verse six says the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye. It looked good to me. I know God said, don't touch it, but man, that thing looks pretty good. Have you ever been there? When something just, it's just right there, it's big and juicy and tasty and you can just, it, 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 I know it tastes good if I could just get a nibble. And, and they made the decision to go beyond the boundary that God had set up. Now, I, I want to point out a couple of things there because we may hear phrases like, the devil made me do it. The devil did not make you do it. The devil does not make us do things. He doesn't have the authority to make us do things. I'm going to come back to that in just a second. What he does is he will put us in situations and circumstances to allow us to make choices that we shouldn't be making. He tempts us. He deceives us. He talks to us about the reality of this world as if it's greater than the reality of the world that God lives in. And he tries to confuse us to have us make decisions that will lead to our own destruction. But, but it's not sin to look at the fruit. He was right. It is a good looking piece of fruit. 
It does smell good and taste good. Looking at it wasn't the problem. That was exactly accurate. The problem happened when they chose to grab it and take a bite of it. See, because we are deceived into thinking that what God said doesn't apply in my life. He's living in some pie in the sky. You know, God be asking for unrealistic things. He doesn't know I'm keeping it real (laughs) down here in my life. And God doesn't understand, so I have to just, you know, make the call and make the play. But God doesn't understand. And somebody told me that it would work out. Somebody told me it wouldn't really be as bad as God said it would be. And so we end up making the choice. And that's when deception, when temptation actually turns into sin. When we actually step outside the boundary and do the thing that God directed us not to do, then we are in sin. And by the way, sin has consequences. It has consequences. It's probably fun for a little while, but it'll come back. And so the, 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 the serpent is sitting here. He's watching this unfold. Oh, I got him to do it. And then guess what happens next? As they're sitting there, it says their eyes were open and they realized that they didn't have any clothes on. And they're like, uh-oh. We in trouble. And so they first went and tried to fix it themselves. Let's put some clothes on because I realize I'm out here exposed. And so they went and did that, and then they're in the garden. Everything seems okay. Maybe he won't notice. And then God shows up, and they realize he's going to know something went wrong. And the reason they hid is because they were ashamed. Now, I want you to notice in chapter 2, verse 25, it said, the man and the woman were both naked, and they felt no shame. So at the beginning... They were in the same circumstance. It just didn't bother them. But once their eyes are open and now they've got this different kind of vision, now they can no longer claim they didn't know good or evil. They didn't know right or wrong. And they realize now I'm out here exposed and God's coming. Uh-oh, I got a problem. And the devil is sitting there laughing. I got him. Now they're ashamed. But that's not really what he's looking for. He just doesn't want them to be embarrassed. He doesn't want them to be ashamed. He wants them to do what they did is they ran and hid from God. The devil's plan isn't sin. It's separation. See, that's what he's been trying to manufacture. He's been trying. He saw this creation and he, he hated this love relationship that God had with his special creation that, that they were so close. And it said the very image of God was breathed into this creation. And he said, I don't want that. I don't like that. What can I do to separate them now? He has no authority to destroy people of God. Amen. Even back in Job's time. Job went through all kinds of utter suffering and and chaos and hardship. But God said from the beginning, you cannot touch mine. You can't destroy mine. I've got a hedge of protection. As a matter of fact, he's got a bit of my own spirit breathed into him. So you have no authority, Satan, to touch my kids. And so you can throw things at them. You can make their circumstances difficult. But the best the devil can do is he can't destroy you, but he can make you, he can encourage you to choose to separate yourself from God. He can't make you do it. He can just try to make the circumstances where we, by our own free will, choose to step back away. And that was the tragedy in this moment. The tragedy was that they now chose to be hidden and separated because of the weight of the shame that they felt for what they had done. 
Now, I want to unpack that a little bit because shame is not something that we really use. It's not a real common term in the mainstream culture, but but it is a powerful concept and it it drives so much of what we do. And and I want to point out that, that it started in verse number 10 because he said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid. One of the devil's favorite tools is fear. What was he afraid of? What was he really concerned about? Why did he hide? What what was the shame that he felt from having made a mistake? What was going on in his head? I don't don't think he was worried about being punished. I don't don't think he was worried about being killed. That's what we think. We think it's a punishment thing. Oh, God is mad now. He's going to hit me with a lightning bolt. That's not what I don't think Adam was thinking about. Adam felt the weight and the shame, and he was worried, will my God leave me alone? as an orphan. I did a little bit of research and and one of the places where shame is really prevalent is in the Asian culture. They they, they can even have what's called this this culture of shame. And and I'm certainly no expert by by any uh, stretch of the imagination, but when I was looking at it, what I found is shame isn't guilt. We think of it as feeling guilty about something or maybe feeling bad because I did something wrong. But the issue of shame is really about feeling unworthy of love and respect. See, Adam realized he had made a mistake and the shame that he felt caused him to be isolated. He felt like all it was was accusing fingers. All it was was derogatory comments. And so in, in, in our culture, when we feel the weight of shame, what we feel like is people are disgusted to look at us. They're disgusted for our mistakes. They're disgusted by what we've done. They don't want to be around us. They don't want to talk to us. They don't even want to look at us. Matter of fact, this issue of shame talks about losing face and I, I hide my face because I'm so shamed that you don't even want to gaze upon me anymore. And in order to in order to keep that pain of isolation and fear down, I just I retract from it. I, I, I pull away from those relationships or I put up a mask. I, I put up walls so that you don't really see all the stuff that's behind the mask. I can come maybe even to church. And I can have my proper face on. And I can keep all this stuff that I'm embarrassed about or all my shortcomings or my fails. I can keep those tucked away so that you just see the image that I want you to have. And I don't have to worry about being ashamed in front of you. Because my fear is that you won't love me anymore. That you won't care about me anymore. And you know what? Shame can make us do some crazy stuff. Why did Cain kill Abel? Why did he kill him? He wasn't mad because one had crops and one had animals. He wasn't mad because uh, of, of, of any tension between them because they didn't like each other. I don't like the clothes you're wearing. Cain was upset because God accepted Abel's offering but rejected his. Cain was angry. Cain was hurt. Cain was embarrassed. Cain wanted to get even because when I feel so overwhelmed by shame, I feel like my life isn't worth anything. So if I don't feel like my life isn't worth anything, how much do I feel yours is worth? I think that's what's playing out in our society today. The the tragedies this weekend in Southern California, the statistics about the murder rates and the homicide rates and the suicide rates. If I feel like I have nothing that's worthy of love, then my life is meaningless. 
If I don't get that value and that connection from the relationships, particularly the relationship with God, then I can do anything to act out. I I can even hurt somebody else because I'm so angry and feel so worthless that I'll strike out at anybody who I feel is getting the love that I think I lost. It's an incredible weight that we carry around. But, 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 But that's not the end of the story, thank God. Because the weight was overwhelming and they ran and they hid. And, and, and then the next thing that happened is the consequences kick in. Now, I don't want us to miss that because we can get, we can get lost and, and think that, well, God will forgive me and God loves me. And when do we get to the forgiveness part? Because Jesus loves everybody and he's filled with grace. But the Bible makes it very clear. Sin has consequences. God didn't stop the consequences from coming. Adam and Eve made a decision and they had to deal with the fruit of their decision. But I want us not to miss something because this is something that is very crucial to understanding what's happening. God is about to respond and, 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 he, and he looks at the situation and he realizes they've disobeyed him and, and he realizes they are filled with guilt and shame. And he says, where are you, man? Why is he looking for the man? Because the man's the one who's responsible. Headship means responsibility. He was the one who was given the commands. He was the one who was given the directives. He was the one that God will start with when he calls things into accounting. And so he, he, he begins to summon the man back and he, and he begins to say, okay, this is what happened. And if I, if I don't fulfill my commandments, I told you, don't do this. If you do this, this is going to happen. If I don't follow through on it, that means I'm a liar. And God can't be a liar. So the consequences had to progress as a result of his decision. And so he speaks consequences to the, to the serpent. He speaks consequences to the woman. And then he comes back around to Adam in verse 17. He says, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Wait a minute. Don't miss that. God cursed the ground. He didn't curse the man. See, because what we think is we think that I messed up God's out to get me now. Now I got to ru- ru- duck and hide and, and stay away from him because I'm ashamed. I got this. He doesn't love me. He won't care for me. God cursed the ground. But here's this is the worth the price of admission right here. Don't miss this. There's a whole enchilada. See, what Satan was trying to do is he was trying to set up the circumstances where the man would walk away and reject God. He would reject the one who gave him his identity and his purpose. But no matter what the devil does, no matter how far you've sinned, no matter how many mistakes you've made, God will maintain his love relationship with you and his calling on your life. It doesn't matter what happens on heaven or hell, above, below, God will keep you. The consequences were... uh, Adam, you got a job to do. I put you here to cultivate and produce from the garden that I've given you. And you know what? Since you messed up, your work's going to get a little harder. You're going to have thorns and thistles. You're going to be digging and stuff's not going to grow the same way it did. And he ends up outside of the garden working ground that wasn't nearly as fertile as ground inside the garden. But notice he still had a job. He still had an identity. He still had a calling. None of that went away. It just got a little rougher for him. 
So God didn't change anything. Satan's plan fell apart because he was like, good, I've separated them. They'll never be together again. But God said, I can bring it right back together. Now, look what he did. Look what he did. Look what he did. Because Adam tried to fix it, right? Uh Uh-oh, we naked. Let's get some some leaves and some string and we're going to cover everything up. And God came out and said, you know what? I see your pitiful attempts to make up for your mistakes and your covering is inadequate. But since I love you, verse 21, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and he covered them. See, we try to make a mistake and try to patch it together. You you ever broke a pot? And try to put that bad boy back together. You got glue hanging off to the inside and one piece is crooked, a big old hole because you couldn't find that part. And we turn it around backwards hoping nobody notices. That's our attempts to cover up for the mistakes that we've made. But God is a master potter. He can take something that's shattered. He can put it back on the wheel. He can build it back up and make it into something better than it was before. And so even though the devil had a plan to try to separate him, God said he was too valuable for me. God provides two things that will never, ever diminish no matter what this world or the enemy throws at you. He gives you a covering and he gives you a calling. And those are eternal for every day of your life. So why was he looking for the man? Man, where are you? Because when things are going haywire, when things are going crazy, when sin is taken over and things are falling apart, God went to look for the one that he left responsible for this thing in the first place. See, the headship that we talk about with man means that when things are going wrong, I'm going to step up. It means that when chaos is ensuing, I'm the one who will be the rock upon which my wife and my children and everything else in this garden that God has placed me in, I will be the one that will hold the ship and return us to where we need to go. Why? Because that's what I've been created to do. And so when things went wrong, God was looking for the man because he was the one who was responsible. But I want us to catch this. I don't think he was looking at him, looking for him because he was angry. I think he was looking for him because he wanted to remind him who he was. See, God said, I'm not going to come in and just wave a magic wand and fix everything. I left somebody who's going to coordinate the fixing of this mess. I left somebody who's going to clean up this mess and, and put things back on the right track. And that's men. That's our calling. That's our design. And so the problem is not that we can fix everything that happens. The problem is that we step up and take responsibility for getting things back on the right track. And here's what happened. Here's here's what I think happened in in this picture where we see the devil trying to work separation. He did two things in that that sin, shame, separation piece. I think he held up two things that continue to perpetuate. What he did is he allowed Adam to get a false sense of identity and 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 forgetting what his purpose was. And we do that same thing today. 
See, we can, we can forget that we have been created to cultivate properly the things around us. And I mentioned last week that that's not just stuff. That's not just raw materials, but that's even the woman God has given us. That's certainly our children. All that God has put in our sphere of influence, we are to be cultivating that and raising that up as men of God. But if I feel overwhelmed by shame and I feel like I'm separated from God, then I start manufacturing my own identities. Now, I'm going to cultivate because that's what I do. I'm going to continue to labor and work because that's what I've been designed for. But if I'm disconnected from the source, I can find a new source. My work can become my source of my identification. I can put all my time and energy and effort. That defines me. That consumes me. That that gives me my status. And and it gives me some some prominence because I want to be significant. I want my life to have impact. I want to make a difference in this world. And since I'm cut off from God, I got to make up my own thing. And so job becomes my idol that I pour my whole self into and it leads to nothing. I've been made to cultivate. God told me to cultivate a woman. But if I get that twisted, I can think my job here it is to cultivate women. I can think that I can find my identity by uh, cultivating as many women as I possibly can. I'll just keep doing it and doing it. And that, that'll show me who I am. That'll show me I'm significant. That shows me I have meaning. That, that shows people desire me and want me. All of a sudden, I'm significant again because I'm cultivating women and planting seeds everywhere I possibly can. I've been cut off from the source. I'm lost and separated. But God came looking for Adam because he wanted to remind him that I will be your covering and I have a calling for your life. Romans reminds us there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus because through Jesus Christ, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. You see, I picked up a sin nature because of the first man, but I got victory over because of the second one. See, see, Adam, Adam, I, I, I picked up some of that sin nature. I picked up some of that, uh, uh, that, that, that desire to go outside the boundaries. I've, I've spent up some of that desire to, to forget my identity, to forget my calling, to forget my purpose. But Jesus Christ came to give me victory over all that I couldn't possibly do by myself. It's the blood of Jesus that, that reminds me that I'm washed and I'm, I'm made brand new. And, and by the way, I'm allowed to be great, man. See, the other problem that happened when we got disconnected from God, and this happens inside the church and is so prevalent in our culture today, is that not only have we come up with these false images of, of men as playboys and pimps and, and hustlers and all these other crazy images of successful man, or I can, I can be the, the biggest, toughest, baddest man around, and that's, that's my def- definition of my manhood, which was actually just merely a representation of my masculinity that has nothing to do with manhood. 
I can get stuck in the middle of maleness to to manhood and get stuck in boyhood and and be all about my toys and showing off my toys to everybody that'll look at me because my significance comes from all the stuff I've acquired. But in the manhood model, God is calling us to move past that, to be a representation of the man that he called us to be, which was made perfectly demonstrated in the life of Jesus Christ. See, in Jesus, we see that manhood is obedience to God. It's understanding what the master's plan for my life is and not letting anything deviate me off this course. It's understanding that my body is a temple and that my power comes from my purity. And I, you don't get many amens on that one right there. But let me, let me, let me, can I sit there for just a second real quick? See, we've completely lost our understanding of this because in days of old, the men who were the most powerful, the ones who, who conquered most of the enemies, the one who were warriors in God's army were the ones who did not defile themselves with the king's food or the king's drink or the, or, or the king's women or, or anything else that would take them away from the focus that they are a mighty warrior for the battle that God is waging right now. And somehow along the way, not only have we bought into these false images, but even in the church, we've decided that maleness is really an emasculated manhood. See, we've got this image somewhere along the way that if you're a Christian man, that means you're soft. Amen. That if you're a Christian man, what that means is you sit around and you do what everybody tells you to do and you, you don't ever get angry and you don't, you don't ever look at anybody the wrong way and you, you just get your, 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 your a whipping boy and you just run around and do what everybody tells you to do and heaven, heaven forbid a, a non-Christian man comes up because he's going to punk you because you're soft, you're a Christian. But what page of the Bible is that in? See, in my Bible, Christian men were the most powerful warriors on the planet. It took one of them to defeat an army of hundreds because they were plugged into the power of God moving through them. But we bought into this crazy misconception because we've been separated from the source and he's calling us back. Where are you, man? He wants to remind us that we are destined for greatness. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be great. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be significant and having an impact. The disciples were walking around with Jesus and they were arguing about which one of them was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Jesus didn't tell them you shouldn't be great. He said you shouldn't be great in the way that the Gentiles are great. You shouldn't be great about manipulating people or or dominating people. You should be great in service. You should be great in humility. You should be great in obedience. You should be great in kindness. You should be great in compassion and justice and mercy. And when you do that kind of manhood, the power of God will be released in our lives. And God was looking for the man to remind him, that's what I made you for. You are designed to be powerful. You are designed to be a world changer. 
You are designed to be a cultivator. Everything around you can flourish when you are plugged into the power of God that is moving through you. Your children will be blessed. Your wife will be blessed. Your parents will be blessed. Your job will be blessed. Your community will be blessed. Your church family will be blessed. You will be a vessel of blessing that no one can stop no matter what they try to say or do. The devil talks about in the New Testament, we hear about him talking about some people have lost their daddy. They are sons of the father of lies. But he calls his children children of light. We are to look like our daddy and walk like our daddy and talk like my daddy and think like my daddy. And in case my heavenly one wasn't around, I got Jesus to show me exactly what that's supposed to look like. And not only do I have Jesus, but I have some brothers that God has brought along me to show me the way. I believe Adam was in that garden seeking to regain his manhood. And you know what? Nobody wanted him to find it more than Eve. Nobody. Nobody wanted Adam to be the man he was chosen and called to be more than the gift that God had given him. She needed it from him. She demanded it from him. God is still trying to use men to transform this world. Sisters, yes, he's using you too. God is trying to use men to transform this world. And when we do it right, when we have our hearts and our minds aligned in focus, it doesn't just change our lives, it changes the lives of those all around us. Today we are here to celebrate the accomplishments of our graduates but they didn't get there on their own the old African proverb it takes a village to raise a child is true but God help the village that has no men to fulfill the role that God has for them in the village sisters that doesn't mean that you're not valuable God designed us each with a specific role and we are in a crisis right now where we need the men of God to stand up and proclaim our God is mighty our God is able and I am sold out for the God who called me to be I wanted to share with you just a quick story one of our graduates is going to come up and just share briefly a little bit of a story about a, a man who understood that God called him to be a cultivator. Not just in the world, but in his first ministry, in his home. Would you please welcome AC? has always been a big part of my life and he has always kept me grounded. 
He's also always there to give me advice when I need it. One of the best advices he's given me is when I'm going through a situation, I should take a deep breath, then pray to God for strength to get through the situation. Then he says, AC, think of different solutions on how to fix your situation. Because when one door closes, there's always many others open waiting for you to make the effort to find the best solution. It won't just come to you on a silver platter. You have to work for it. I used that advice when I was struggling with balancing my schoolwork and making up dances for my school club and a praise dance that was coming up. I put my dad's advice to work because I was so stressed out and wanted to give up. But once I prayed and managed my time better, it all worked out. I've always kept my dad's advice with me, and it has helped me through my school years and especially my high school years. I'm blessed to have a dad that wants the best for me and pushes me and is always there when I need him. Thank you, Dad. Thank you for joining us for this installment of Renewing Your Mind, a web-based ministry of South Bay Community Church located at 47385 Warm Springs Boulevard, Fremont, California. We can be found on the web at www.sobcc.org. We'd like to take a moment to invite you to come and join us in person for one of our dynamic Sunday morning worship services. Services begin at 8 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. each Sunday, and we would be so blessed to have you come worship with us. We'd also love to hear from you a word about how this ministry is helping you renew your mind for the glory of Jesus Christ. So please contact us and we pray God's blessings over you the rest of this day. God bless.